welcome to another inspirational message from Brave Church UK. We are going to be continuing our sermon series in Ephesians. So this morning we are looking at Ephesians 2. For the last three weeks we've been doing Ephesians and if you've missed that, we've missed you too. Where have you been? You should have been here. That would have been good. Um, you can catch up with the podcasts um, if you like. Not right now at this moment. That might be a bit distracting for us to try and catch up with the podcast now. But we've been doing three weeks of Ephesians. Sam preached on week, week one in Ephesians 1 and he was giving us a little bit of context to Paul and his position when he's sending the letter and the church at Ephesus too, and he was just telling us a little bit about that. And then he continued to talk a little bit about the poem that we find in Ephesians 1. And then Simon did an amazing job last week talking about the prayer that we find in Ephesians 1. And then this week, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about Ephesians 2. And what basically the background of Ephesians 2, it's twofold really what Paul is saying, is Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, he's given them all a little bit of a recap of what's, where they've come from, where they are now in Christ, a spiritual recap, if you will. And also, he's going into a little bit more detail on grace and what he mentioned about grace in Ephesians 1. So now we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 2. It's going to come up on the screens. You can find it. I'm going to read it through for us now this morning. It says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to believe when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work at those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ in, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then this is the famous bit that you might all know or you might have heard of um, a little bit. And it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray this morning before we continue. God, thank you for the gift of grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faith that you provide us with if only we ask. I pray, I pray today, Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, that you speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, bring us joy and fun through today's message. And God, please, please, above all, we pray for your fo favorite football team, Manchester United, of course. Jesus, we are a team completely lost at sea. Help us. And three people said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Have you ever, no have you ever noticed when you've read the Bible before, have you ever been flicking through the Bible and compared that to our current culture that we live in, the ways of the world? Have you ever noticed that when you read that, it seems like the Bible is upside down to the rest of the world, isn't it? Not just a little bit different, it's completely countercultural. It's like it's inside out to the culture of this world. And the Bible says things like this. Hey, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. Like, what? 
If you want to lose, if you lose your life for my sake, then you'll save it. It's like backwards to what we think. What about this one? The first shall be last. That would make a really interesting Olympic Games, wouldn't it? The first shall be last. I always think about that one when someone cuts in front of me at the queue at Tesco or Asda and I passively, aggressively mutter that to myself. First will be last. Like, that's got anything to do with the text at all, but I like, I like saying that one. Give and it will be given to you. If you want to lead, you must serve. It's almost the upside down. And in God's kingdom, you are, when you lowered, when you lower yourself, you are lifted up. And Jesus showed us this, this doesn't he, um, in the, uh, when he's washing uh, the disciples' feet. So we have the passage of scripture where the disciples are coming in. They've been on a long journey. We've got the Passover feast. And Jesus is the first person to wash the disciples' feet. It's a little bit like, um, like uh, Alan Sugar or Richard Branson coming up from his high tower, coming down to the delivery room and the mail room and saying, hey, boys, anybody fancy a brew? Like, that would never happen. It's the modern-day equivalent of saying, anybody wants a brew? And Jesus lowered himself. And in the eyes of God, he was lifted up because of it. And you see, in the way that the world works, isn't it, on the building site, it's the apprentice, isn't it, that makes the brews and does the sweeping up because they're the jobs that they consider as lowerly jobs and jobs that are beneath them. But in the way that God works, them jobs are not beneath God. In fact, God says, if you lower yourself, you will be lifted up. And here in Ephesians 2, Paul is reminding the church at Ephesus that they used to live in a kingdom. They used to behave in them certain ways. But now, because of God's grace, they've been pulled out of that kingdom. And now they are in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is difficult to describe sometimes. It's not a place. So when we read the kingdom of heaven in the Bible or the kingdom of God, it is not a physical place to be confused with heaven itself. So when we read in the, uh, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come here on earth, just like it is in heaven. Just like it is. So the kingdom of God is in heaven, but it is not heaven. The kingdom of God is simply the power and the authority and the rule and the reign and sovereignty of God here on earth. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying you've been pulled out of that kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and now we are citizens of the kingdom of light. And there are ways that both kingdoms work, aren't there? We have the Bible and, and the ways of the world has the lad Bible. Um, where they have their ways and, uh, and there are different ways that we have. Um, and you see, it can be a little bit confusing, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus spent more time in the Bible talking about this particular subject, the kingdom of heaven, than he did talking about any other specific subject. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who find, is like treasure found in, buried in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like, uh, is like uh, scattering of seeds. He, he, he spends so much time describing at length. So this morning, I don't want to go into the details of the theology behind the kingdom of heaven because I wouldn't do it justice because um, it took Jesus a lot of effort. But what do we need to know this morning? What do we need to know about the kingdom of heaven this morning? Paul tells us in Romans 13, 12, he says this, the night is nearly over, meaning the kingdom of darkness. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. So the night has passed, the kingdom of darkness has gone almost. 
The kingdom of light is here almost. So we are living in a perpetual sunrise. We are in the middle of both. And, and what Paul is telling us is that we have been pulled out of that kingdom and we are now in this kingdom. But I don't know about you, for me, as a believer or someone who, who claims to be in the a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, for me, I still find myself drifting, behaving and thinking in the ways of the kingdom of darkness like I used to think. Anybody else think like that? Please help me out this morning. I'm not the only bad Christian in the room. That's me. We've been called out of darkness and into light. So this morning, I just want to briefly talk about three ways in which the world works, which I've identified in my life and still times find myself falling back into and thinking that way. And maybe this morning they can be helpful to you in your journey as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So first up, number one, the world says, get all you can, but God says, give all you can. In Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've been watching the new series of Bear Grylls, The Island. Anybody watching that on Channel 4? That's like one of my favorite things to watch. Basically, for those that haven't seen it, it's like a survival program where they throw a bunch of people on an island for six weeks with a camera and they say, film yourselves and survive. And it's been really good TV for the last three or four seasons, but it's got a little bit stale. So what usually happens is they get thrown on the island, they fall out a little bit and they have their ups and downs and they fall out, but they always come together, survive, and they exit the island and everything's great. But this year is particularly good because it's called Treasure Island. Treasure Island. The premise is the same, but now on the island, they are dropping parachutes and packages of huge sums of money onto the island. And it's finders keepers. It's share, if you like. You can steal off people. There are no rules. And it's absolute anarchy. And I love it. So it makes really good TV. So I've got a little bit of a clip for you this morning. The quality is not great, but I needed to choose something that didn't have bad language in. So here it is. <laughs> Mark and I have found a lot of money. I've also found money. Have you? So far, the islanders have found £55,000. So there's no way you're sharing it with us? No. But not everyone came clean about how they discovered the money. I've been fleeced. There's a load of gun flapping about this money. It's simple. Ask yourself, do you want to keep it or do you want to share it? That's it. As divisions deepen... What's happened to the sisterhood? There is no sisterhood, Alyssa. The group are struggling to find enough food to survive. The amount of food now is just unbelievable. I just feel hungry and thirsty. <laughs> this is life and death. So, as we can see on the island, there have been friends hiding money from each other, stealing money. In fact, there's a group of three girls, one of which that we saw on the screen there who said that she'd been fleeced, who was involved in a group of three, and two out of them three girls left her and went and stole money and hid it for themselves, and it's all kicked off, and they're all grabbing for money, and now they can't survive on the island because they're all concerned about the money. And then in this week's episodes, that particular girl said this one quote, and it just knocked me for six. She said this, I can't go around being Mother Teresa. Look where that got her. Like, how crazy is that? 
that the values of the world have come to such place where we view somebody like Mother Teresa, her life becoming a saint in 2016 as a life not to be lived, not valuable. Her life was not valuable in this girl's eyes. And we don't blame the girl. And in all of the stuff that we're talking about, I'm not talking about horrible, nasty people, by the way, that are evil and running around doing things. I'm just talking about the ways of the world. So there's no condemnation in this room this morning. We all used to live in that way of thinking, like Paul said. But this girl, bless her, thinks that Mother Teresa's life was not a, world, a life that was worthy of living and that she, because she didn't amass fortune or wealth or treasured possessions or go on crazy experiences and do amazing things in the world's eyes that it's not valuable. You see, the world tells us that we can find fulfillment in getting all we can by gathering material possessions or by going on incredible experiences. But in God's kingdom, success is completely upside down. Money, material things, careers, great achievements are good things. Good things that God can bless you with. They're amazing. So I'm not putting them things down, but we can only find true and lasting satisfaction, significance, or security in the kingdom of God. Psalm 1273 uh, says this. It's not going to come up. I'm just going to fire through a few scriptures. It says, do you see that children are God's best gift? Proverbs 31.10 says, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. And all the ladies and married women said, amen. Absolutely. No doubt about that. Preach. Um, Psalm 33, 12 says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. And like we've already looked at in Ephesians, we are God's inheritance. You see, in the kingdom of God, it is people that, are, that matter. It's people that have worth, that are valuable to him. And in God's kingdom, when my time is done here on earth, of course, I want to leave a financial inheritance to my children. But I would much more rather, it is much more significant and beneficial to me where I'm storing up treasures in heaven to give of my life, to give where I'm, where I'm having an impact on the loved ones around me, where I can use material possessions to gain heavenly possessions, to gain heavenly treasures. It's people. I, I can't wait for the day where I see my two uh, daughters getting baptized. That is a day that I will treasure forever. When they get married and when they grow up, when they're 40 or 50 years old, I can't wait when they find their first boyfriend. I cannot wait <laughs> until that day. <laughs> I can't wait for that day because it's going to be an incredible day. They're the things that I look forward to and I look forward to um, the 31st of December is uh, the 19th of December. Wow. The 19th of December is my wedding anniversary. <laughs> Sarah's in the other room, it's okay. <laughs> the 19th of December is my wedding anniversary. I can't wait for the day when I sit down for my 50th or 60th wedding anniversary, if God so chooses to let me live that long, where I can sit down with all my children, loved ones and friends, and we can celebrate together the treasures that we have in heaven and not the earthly possessions. You see, in God's kingdom, it's people that are valuable. You can't take money or gold with you into the next life, but you can take people. The world says, get all you can. God says, give all you can. The second way uh, that the kingdom is upside down to this world is that the world looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That's a reference to 1 Samuel 16, 7, 
where God's asking Samuel to anoint um, a, a new king and he sees this big, huge, uh, good-looking chap with plenty of muscles, super tall, and, and he considers him and God says, no, no, no. I, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And the world and we at times as well place so much value on what we look like, don't we? Our physical appearance, um, our looks, our hair. I'm just, um, I'd just be grateful when I wake up in the morning and I've still got hair, some hair left. It's going so quickly from me. Um, but we do, we place so much value. And we, we have these insecurities, don't we? We all have one thing or half a dozen things that we don't like about our bodies, we, we don't like about our appearance. We all have that one thing, don't we? My one thing is that I've got a box-shaped, huge forehead. Like, it is massive. Thank you for not everybody chuckling. For those that are polite in the room, that, that those are being polite, I thank you, but you are still wrong. Uh, I do have a huge forehead. In fact, when I was a toddler, my mum and dad took me to the doctors because they were so concerned of how large my head is. <laughs> The doctor agreed that it was a big head, but no, con no concern for him. We all have that one thing, and why is that? Why do we still have these things? That stop looking at my forehead. <laughs> why do we still have these things? Why, why, do we still, why do we bother so much about the way that we look? Why are we so insecure about these things? But I think for me, it's because sometimes we are still rooted and we still value the things that the world thinks, we get so tight. We all have that one thing. Um, maybe that's why I'm uh, so worried about going bald, because I might look like a, a huge light bulb uh, or something when I grow up a big thing. Uh, that's just the way it is. But, um, you know, everybody has that one thing about us, um, don't we? But we always think and believe sometimes and behave and act like the world acts. Even though we know that we are loved, we know that we are valuable. We know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We know that as a fact as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but sometimes we move over and we drift and, and it doesn't come out in what we think and how we behave. A very recent survey last year in England and Wales found that 55% of secondary school children had been bullied about the way that they look. 53% of those children had anxious thoughts because of what somebody said about them. 29% of those children suffered from depression because of what somebody said about what they looked like. One in 10 had suicidal thoughts because they'd been bullied about their appearance. I don't know about you, but I want our children and young people and ourselves to grow up with the kingdom of God on the inside of us. So it doesn't matter what we look like and it doesn't matter what the world says about us. It's what he thinks. And that we, we, with the kingdom of God on the inside of us, we can resist the values of the world and we can push back and we can be strong and we can eventually laugh about the things like we have done, like all you naughty people have done this morning to me. We can laugh about these things, can't we? I mean, I'm not trying to diminish or belittle people's insecurities at all this morning whatsoever. What I'm saying is that we can get to a place, we can resist the things of the world, we can push back and it matters more about what's on the inside. It matters more about your heart and about your character than it does that anything on the outside of you. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had a mirror that reflected exactly what God thought about us? Wouldn't that be fantastic? If we could pick up a mirror, look at that mirror and see what God sees inside of us. Like we would wake up in the morning and that'd be the first thing that we did, wouldn't it? Pull out that mirror, check that mirror out. 
when we were at school or college or at work, we're feeling a bit vulnerable or insecure, we would pull the mirror out again, wouldn't we? We would look at the mirror and we would go, goodness me, that's what God really thinks about me. We get a job interview or we become nervous or insecure and we pull out the mirror. We'd give that mirror to all them children, wouldn't we? That 55% of children, we would put one of them mirrors in their hands. You would be giving them out to your friends and family like they were, like they were so valuable to and They'd be like, check this out. Look at what God thinks about us. And as cheesy as it sounds, we have that mirror. The Bible tells us, the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But the problem is that the first thing that we pick up in the morning isn't the Bible and isn't what God says about us. The first thing that we pick up in the morning is our phones and it's Facebook and it's Instagram. Let's see what the world says is beautiful. Instead of us trying to see what God says is beautiful, it is so much more valuable what is the inside of you. It's who God has created you to be. It's whose you are that matters in in this world and I want my children in this generation and us to grow up with the kingdom of God on the inside of us number three the way that the world is upside down to the kingdom of God is number three says that religion can save you so be better the kingdom of God says that it's by grace that we have been saved so just accept the gift religion says if I do these certain things enough then I'll be good enough for God. If you clean yourself up and stop doing all these naughty things, then that will make you a good person. By that definition, the good news, Christianity itself is not religious. It is not. Religion says, if I do what God tells me, then he will love me. The message of Jesus says, because God loves me, I am able to do what he tells me. And there is a big difference. The gospel message isn't the power to make bad, naughty people into good people. The gospel message is turning the spiritually dead and bringing them back to life so they can live amazing, fulfilled, incredible lives in the kingdom of heaven. It's not about what you've done. It's about whose you are. So why do we still, and in my life, like I've said this morning, why do we still feel and act and behave like we think we can earn our salvation? We can earn God's love. Like we can make some form of contribution towards what of God has done for us. We still do. Jesus' death on the cross was a demonstration of his love for the whole world, for everybody. Jesus' death was the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever seen. So why do we think that we could earn it? What could we do to match the cost of Jesus Christ. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't earn our God's love for us. It's called grace because it's a gift. You already have it. It's been given to you. So we need to start living like that. Often as believers, we operate from a place of should. We should do. We ought to. You know them things that you say, oh, I've got to, I have to, I must do. We should and we ought and we must. And I wonder this morning, Maybe some of us have got to a place where we've stopped talking to God in a relationship and we're just reciting prayers. Maybe we've got the routine, but have we forgotten the relationship? It's so easy to let the ways of the world muddy our perspective of God. And maybe this morning we need to remember that it's God who loved us first. It's him. It's his love. And we need to forget the guilt Forget, turn away from the things that we've done and that we keep doing. Repent, 
turn around and move on. Forget the guilt, forget the shame, turn away from our mistakes, let go of the shoulds, oughts and musts and remember that in the kingdom of God, nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can. His love is so great that you could never even dream of earning it. Band, if you want to come up, I'm going to finish a little bit earlier this morning. Um, you know, I remember um, the night that I asked my wife, Sarah, to marry me. Um, I was so, I was like super, super nervous. Uh, at the time, I was working uh, full-time, uh, voluntary as a Christian, if you will, here at the, at the center um, with some people that are in this room as well now. And, uh, and I was doing that voluntary and I had two part-time jobs on top of that um, to try and live and earn my way and to save up money for this ring. My family also helped and contributed towards that ring secretly as well. But I worked hard two jobs to buy a ring and I was so nervous. I remember going to the shop and buying the ring and trying to pick out the right one, spending time secretly asking questions to Sarah about what type of ring that she would like and dropping them in uh, into a world. I remember going to, uh, to speak to her mum and dad um, to ask their blessing, to ask their permission, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and of course, when I went to them, I was super nervous. It was, it was a difficult thing. And Sarah's mum, instantly over the moon, she was crying. It was, this is amazing. Thank you. This is fantastic. Of course, absolutely have our blessing. Duncan needed a minute. Um, <laughs> as every good dad does. <laughs> and after a huge nudge from Alison in the belly, of course, he was overjoyed. And, uh, and he was eventually happy too. <laughs> but I was so nervous. It cost a lot in effort and energy and financially as well. And I remember I thought, I need to keep this simple. I don't want to do something extravagant and mess it up. I'm going to keep it simple. So we went to Franco's, which is a local Italian restaurant just around the corner, a cheap and cheerful meal. It's absolutely fantastic. And I thought, I'll take her there. It's our favorite restaurant. So we went to the restaurant. I'm sat eating the meal and I'm working up to it. I've got the, the, the big bulky box in my pocket. And I'm like, is she going to see it? What's going to happen here? Uh, and I think genuinely she thought she was getting suspicious that there's something going wrong because uh, she started to clock on what was happening because I finished my meal before she did, which has never happened in the history of our marriage. <laughs> we finished the meal. I paid for the bill. And uh, for those that don't know, in Franco's, um, the restaurant, you have a, uh, some steps that lead up to the, to the exit. So as you walk up the steps and you stand at the landing, you can see the rest of the restaurant. So I paid for the meal and we walked up and I said to Sarah, um, yeah, go, go for it, come on, let's go. And as I, I took a step up and let her walk up, I to, took two really big steps back, looked around, don't, you're gonna set me off. <laughs> I looked around at the rest of the restaurant, waited for her to turn around, had the ring in my hand and said to everybody, said, ladies and gentlemen, there's something I'd like to ask this beautiful woman. She turned around, I got down on one knee and said, presented her with a ring and said, will you marry me? And she said, are you joking? <laughs> more out of shock, I think more than anything. Obviously she said yes straight away. She was only 19, 18 at the time when I asked her, so it was very early in our relationship. So I think it was a bit of a shock for her. But just imagine for a minute, if that wasn't her response. Just imagine for a minute, I take out the ring. She's overwhelmed and she says yes. And as she reaches for the ring, she begins frantically trying to search in her pockets. 
rummaging through her pockets, going through her bag, trying to ask and borrow some money off somebody, saying, I, I need to, this, this can't be for free, like, I've got to give you something. And she reaches into her bag, her handbag, and she pulls out a penny, and she says, uh, here you go, does this cover it? How heartbroken would I have been? It diminishes the gift. It diminishes the gift. It's worth much more than the money that I even put into it. it worth, it's worth more, much more than the money. That penny is astronomically less in value than the ring. Then why in our lives do we still think that we can contribute towards God's love to us? It's like trying to present him with a penny and saying, is this enough? Of course it's not enough. Of course it's not enough. God's gift to us on the cross is so much more valuable than anything that we could do. But we still, in my life, and sometimes I know in your life, we still try and find a way to try and contribute towards a gift. It's like being given the Mona Lisa and saying, here, does a fiver cover it? No, it doesn't. It is way too precious. Trying to earn God's love is like trying to swim to the moon. It's just not possible. We can't do it. It's not that it's priceless, it's that it's worth so much more than we could ever do. And when we try and contribute, when we try and give a gift to try and earn God's love, it's like we are diminishing the value. It's like we're putting a price on what he's done. And there is no price. It is way too much than we could ever do. When we come to church, when we read our Bibles, when we set time, time for God, when we volunteer, when we do good deeds, when we live generously, when we resist doing what we know what is not God's best for is like getting drunk, gossiping, speaking badly about other people, sleeping around and selfish indulgent, impure thoughts and greed. When we live how God would not want us to, when we live how God wants us to live, it's because we are already citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's not because we're trying to earn the ticket in. We have already been bought the ticket. So when we do anything, it's because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The world says, change your outside and that will heal your broken heart. But God says, believe me in me with your broken heart and I will make you a new creation. Setting aside the old one from the inside out. God is more interested in transforming your heart than he is modifying your behavior and maybe this morning you've become so hung up on trying to earn God's love by doing all the right things that you've lost sight of the fact that you've always had it this morning as we worship together one more time we can stand to your feet Let us remember that he has called us out of the kingdom of darkness, that he loves us for who we are in Christ. We don't have to earn it. We never could. We don't deserve it. But we freely receive it this morning. Let's worship him simply because he loved us first. That's the end of this week's podcast. We hope that it inspired you. For any more information, visit bravechurch.co.uk.